0: Greetings, dear listeners. We did something different this week. We recorded a joint podcast with our friends Susanna Black and Peter Momsen from Plow Magazine's Plowcast pod. We are cross-publishing the episode on both podcasts, and we encourage you to check them out and consider subscribing. It was a really fun and feisty conversation. We started with the recent foreign policy manifesto by the National Conservative Movement, but quickly veered off into a deeper discussion of first principles. Is there such a thing as the common good? Is democracy the best way to get to it, if it exists? And am I Satan? We hope you enjoy the conversation. It was really fun. On to the show. <laughs> really good to be doing a joint podcast with you guys. Um, thanks for suggesting it. And uh, I, th- I think we'll, this should be a, a fun hour or so. Um, Susanna, you, you, you uh, sent some sort of prompting materials to us. And I have to confess that I had completely missed, maybe because I'm in the Balkans right now and just distracted by other things, uh, that uh, the National Conservatives uh, had released a statement of principles. When, when exactly did this happen?
1: It's like probably two months ago now, maybe. Oh yeah. Around there.
0: I missed it I don't even have the excuse of the Balkans. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So like, I mean, so I missed it to the extent of, uh, that, that, I mean, to a certain extent, I don't know, uh, the whole like NatCon thing, uh, there's constantly something going on there and I try and keep tabs on it, but it's, it's kind of, I don't know. Um, it didn't punch through for me. What was the the reaction to it? I mean, in in your part of the world, uh, like was it did it cause any stir, an uproar? You know, fights.
2: But maybe we should explain what the national conservatives are.
1: So, what is a national conservative? Like, what, how do you how do you know one in the wild? Um, yeah, they're like they're so it's it's kind of the expanded cinematic universe around Yoram Hazoni is kind of one way to put it. Um, and, or around um, the American conservative magazine, although less so there are these conferences. I went to the first of them um, probably three years ago in the before times. Um, I was in DC. Yeah. I was in DC. Did you go? I
0: I, I was know, there. I was yeah. there. Yeah.
1: Um, and so there've been like a couple of conferences a year since then. Um, and they, yeah, like probably about, I don't know, two months ago, um, released this statement and it was published at uh, the American Conservative Magazine and simultaneously, I think, at the European Conservative um, and a couple of other places. And so it's it's not so much, it's not actually Patrick Denine. I don't think he signed it. Um, the signatories were, uh, it was it was Rusty Reno, Yoram um, Hazzoni, who was kind of the... Uh, person behind all of this for the most part. Um, Will Chamberlain, Roger Christopher DeMuth, um, Daniel McCarthy, uh, John O'Sullivan, a couple of others. And it's the statement is on behalf of the Edmund Burke Foundation, which um, is Yoram Hazoni's organization that um, a really good friend of mine also works for.
0: And Yoram is an Israeli scholar of nationalism, right? I mean, that's the the his sort of the easiest way to do this, right?
1: Yeah, he's, I wouldn't call him a scholar of Nash. I'm not sure actually how he would describe himself. He, the book that he, that I kind of first knew him for, um, and that my husband really loves is his book on the uh, philosophy of Hebrew scripture. So he's just, he's a kind of a generalist, I think.
2: Okay, and just maybe just to get to the heart of the matter, um, whoever these people are, they're all post-liberals. They are critics of liberalism and they are trying to articulate an alternative vision. So this statement of principles is yet another attempt to lay out what their vision of society in this state is. And we'll include a link in the show notes so you can read it if you want to. Um, it's interesting to see how people react to it. I think some of it is OK and some of it I liked, but there were certainly parts that made me quite nervous. Um, and I think that nervousness is at the core of the debate about what this new movement is and what it actually aspires to. I mean, there's one paragraph in the statement that I just don't know where religious minorities end up in a case like this. But they say, quote unquote, where a Christian majority exists, public life should be rooted in Christianity and its moral vision which should be honored by the state and other institutions, both public and private. At the same time, Jews and other religious minorities are to be protected in the observance of their own traditions, in the free governance of their communal institutions, and in all matters pertaining to child rearing. Okay, so that's um, it's that sort of reminds me of the Ottoman caliphate's uh, millet system, Uh, But that's not necessarily a good thing, because I don't know if we want to go back to that sort of societal arrangement. But first of all, just to mention Jews and then other religious minorities, I would have preferred if Muslims were at least named there. But that's just like a personal (laughs) preference. But this to me is the fundamental question. Um, And I think that the post liberals, as much as I respect their critiques of liberalism, because I share some of those critiques, they can't quite articulate clearly what the end state looks like. That's also not an easy thing to do. But my fear is that the end state um, makes Jews and other religious minorities not quite, I mean, they could be equal citizens, you know, in some basic sense. But if the state is oriented around a Christian conception of the common good, where does that leave um, people who don't share that Christian conception of the a common good.
3: I think that's a really great question, and I would love to delve into that. I mean, it might might be helpful just to put our own sort of flags on the mast here. I'm an, an Anabaptist Christian. That's a minority religion within Christianity that's historically persecuted, and so obviously Christians from that tradition, uh, one that has never kind of had a. Alliance with political power are really into certain liberal freedoms like freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of association. But setting that aside, and, and Susanna's Anglican Christian, and I guess Shadi, you're Muslim, um, Damir, I don't know how you how you put yourself <laughs> on this here. It just uh, interests me. Croatian,
0: that- so <laughs> Croatian, so it has to be Catholic, even though like completely unobservant.
3: Yeah, okay. <laughs> but but to me, a lot of reactions to a statement like this that you just read, Shadi, comes so much from one's own kind of tradition and uh, the sort of history one places oneself in. So saying up front that I kind of very much read a statement like this from the point of view of a minority religion myself, there is a, this is something I'd like to probe with you, Shadi, but there is a a kind of non-scary version of um, public life being rooted in Christianity, and that's what you see in much of Europe. Uh, Christian holidays are public holidays, right? In Germany, uh, the UK, Christmas, Easter, Pentecost, Ascension Day um, are public holidays. There's certain amounts of observance. Uh, In Germany, for example, where I lived for seven years, Good Friday is a mandatory holiday where you're not allowed to work and in fact not allowed to run loud machinery outside. I used to get nailed for uh, running a lawnmower. Um, So, that, that would be the kind of thing that doesn't seem instantly totalitarian and awful and Grand Inquisitor dystopia like quite yet.
2: Well, it's interesting you you mentioned that because my reaction is very, very different to those sorts of sentences and paragraphs. So I think what, what you just described, Peter, is not to me anything having to do with Christianity and its moral vision. First of all, in western europe these are not countries that have a christian majority they are christian minority countries in the sense that most people are not theologically christian in the sense of the creedal requirements of the faith as most christians would understand it so i think that it's fine public holiday is all that but these are very secular societies where um these are maybe cultural artifacts of yesteryear My sense from the National Conservatives and what they're advocating for America, and I suppose also for other countries, is a much more vigorous uh, conception of Christian morality. And I know that because, you know, having read what some of the signatories have written and said in the past, they don't just want Christian holidays. They want a government that is oriented towards what they call the common good. you know, Adrian Vermeule has written about this, although he's not a signatory, Um, but-
1: uh, And there are reasons for that.
2: Yeah, sure, Uh, yeah, (laughs) well, but but anyway, just to say that um, I think that, and, and I don't know exactly what they want, and it's also a question of whether what they want is democratic, and we can get to that later, which is also one of my major concerns, is that if people don't want this and they don't vote for this Christian moral vision, and they probably won't because there aren't enough conservative Christians in America, so how does this actually come about? And my fear is that the implication is that it won't necessarily come out through democratic means, but that's a little bit of a tangent.
1: So a couple of things to hit on um, based on a couple of things that you guys raised. Um, So first of all, this is very much not a Christian document. Um, and actually the other document that I sent around, which is this, um, open letter, uh, which was drafted by, um, John Milbank and a couple of his associates was a Christian response to this essentially neutral, religiously neutral, um, vision. Um, and one of the kind of, um, problems that i have with the national conservatism statement although again i agree with a lot of it and um one of the reasons that i didn't sign the open letter um was that it, it seemed to me to be too much a no this is completely wrong here is the alternate vision and my instincts are kind of non combative and i didn't really want to do that um, plus whatever um, but the the batch of people who wrote the other open letter, which which I sent around, which we will also include a link to in the show notes, um, which was published, which will have been published two days from now, also in the European Conservative, um, whose editor signed the original statement, uh, was published by, was written and published by another batch of people who also call themselves post-liberals, and actually who were calling themselves post-liberals before. The national conservatives, and I'm not even sure that most of the national conservatives would consider themselves post liberals. That's not necessarily a category that they would be comfortable with. Um, so it, this is so ju- that's just kind of laying out some of the uh, weird kind of complexities of what what these questions are. Um, the other kind of thing that it, there, there were two other things that I kind of wanted to hit. You had talked about Christian conception of the common good Um, and that itself. I mean, one of of the things that I would push against is the idea that there is a Christian conception of the common good. Um, I think Christianity is true. Um, I think that there is a common good that's accessible, not through revelation, but through reason, and that that is the common good that's most properly um, aspired towards in every nation whether Christian or not, um, and that that common good is something that um, kind of is compatible with, you know, uh, any number of religious traditions. Um, that would be something like the experience that we have of living together in justice and friendship and, and charity. Um, so that's kind of one thing. The other, I, The other sort of thing that I wanted to kind of hit on was that you talked about this as a kind of return to the millet system. And the thing is, I, I can remember having a conversation um, with a guy who's a friend who is now much farther to the left. Um, but at the at the time, he was kind of saying that what Christians really, you know, the, the most we can ask for at this point is having little millets under liberalism. Um, and I think that's kind of the vision. I think that's, you know, that was the Benedict Option vision. Like, let's have little millets of Christianity and Islam. Under liberalism, which is the overarching religion, um, but please leave us, let us leave us alone, so that we can have our own self-governing, legal and, um, you know, educational communities. Please just give us this. And so I, I don't think that it's a question of millet system versus non-millet system. I think it's a question of which is the predominant religion under which you are asking for millets. And I think that liberalism is. Oh, I can't believe I'm going to the liberalism as a religion place. That's so tacky.
0: <laughs> but, but so you know, um, I, the, both documents have a lot to do with foreign policy, and we can sort of get into that later. But you know, I, just maybe to delve into this, uh, uh, it's in the National Conservatism document, and it's in the response as well. It's 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 um, uh, devolution, delegation of power downwards, and this is what you're talking about in in this sort of. Um, you know, the best hope for the sort of Benedict option, right is that 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 to a certain extent, that liberal principle of of devolution is applied and then that communities are basically left alone. Uh, the striking thing about the National conservative one is that, you know they they add, what struck me as a pretty Vermulian sort of sentence there. It says, however, in those states or subdivisions in which law and justice have been manifestly corrupted, or in which lawlessness, immorality, and dissolution reign, national government must intervene energetically to restore order. Um, I mean that that to me is 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 exactly that sort of I don't know inversion and in that that you know the the fight over the crown jewels that that basically is driving a lot of this. This culture war stuff. So I don't know. Where do you guys come down on that question? Uh, on the one hand, you know, uh, Rod Dreher is is you know uh, did so much to popularize the uh, the Benedict option. He's the signatory uh, of of this National Conservatism document. And yet, there's that. There's the where 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 society has gotten so rotten. The center must come in and reorder it. You know, and that's that's some muscular language right there. So I don't know how do you guys feel about that.
3: A lot of it seems to lie outside the text, right? I mean, it's uh, who is doing the reordering to what purpose, and again, it gets back to this question of in who, uh, w- what is that common good that's being restored, right? So from a say Christian conservative Benedict Optione point of view, um, the, the national government who's coming in and correcting things could just as well be a secularist liberal government coming in and banning homeschooling because it's creating religious parallel societies right um, from a secularist reading this document or you know just maybe a, a normal liberal Democrat uh, the the fear is that those sentences are describing some type of Uh, Christian takeover of government, as Shadi alluded to before, kind of shades of January 6th in the background, some type of um, theocratic, you know, non-democratic takeover, and then, you know, coming in and banning, you know, anything that offends against Christian sexual morality, for instance. And I guess, I don't know how to read that, except to maybe look at the list of signatories and try to guess uh, what they mean by that.
1: I mean, I kind of I read it. And I was th- I was thinking about when it was drafted, and I think it probably primarily has to do with stuff like um, post George Floyd riots. Um, I mean, there's a ton of other things that it could have to do with, but again, uh, you know, obviously, a post liberal reading of this. And again, I don't think that this is a post liberal document. I don't think it's necessarily a Christian document either. It's, it's sort of very specifically not being that. Um, but a post-liberal read of something like that would be like, "All right. Yes, this could describe something very bad um, or it could describe something that's absolutely necessary sometimes. And I think you can't, like ahead of time say because the the whole point is that you know, when power needs to be exercised, it needs to be exercised on behalf of the common good and the the actual good of um, the 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 people who are being governed.
2: so on that, if I could just jump in. Um, so let's, you know, putting these documents aside, because ultimately what what we think is, I think, more important than what, you know, I mean, it's more important to us, at least because there are ideas, I suppose. But I'm curious, um, Susanna, since, you know, since you are actually, I think, a self-identified Christian post-liberal um Why don't we just get right to what you think it actually means? Because I read your article in The Spectator, which does outline some aspects of your conception of the common good, and we'll include a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, It's a fascinating piece, but a piece that I found confusing in certain ways, and I didn't know exactly exactly how to take certain things. And maybe that's what is sort of on my mind now. I keep on hearing people talking about the common good in these general terms. So whether it's friendship, charity, and, you know, th- those are all nice things, but I don't really know what that means in practice. A lot of these things remain vague and aspirational. And it becomes hard to actually debate something like this because we don't know what we're debating. We're de- we're debate we're debating something that's imaginary, hypothetical, but also undefined.
1: Sure. So I would. I mean, I, I kind of didn't reread my spectator piece, and probably should have. I have some quotes um, for
2: you if you want, just in case.
1: Awesome. <laughs> well, well, hang on. Let me let me like make let me make I don't know if I write it exactly the same way now. That was like in mid COVID or something. Um, so a common good is the kind of good where you can't go off and enjoy it by yourself. So like, you can't take a piece of a common good, like a piece of pizza, a pizza, a piece of pizza is a private good. You can go enjoy it by yourself. Um, a common good is the kind of good, like being at a party where you can't take the being at a party or being a daughter or being a friend and, and go off and enjoy that by yourself because it's necessarily, um, in its enjoyment, it's with other people and the political common good, which is the kind of common good that we're talking about, is the kind of common good that we enjoy with each other when we're in a polity together, when we're in a political community together. So some aspects of that would be um, justice, like we don't, you know, some of us don't tyrannize arbitrarily over other people and just take their stuff or be in charge Um, and just, so that's kind of like a certain aspect of justice. There's also like just laws, so the laws actually reflect reflect the natural law. Um, so there aren't laws that say it's cool to, you know, you know, cannibalize or it's okay to steal. Um, and there's a, a kind of general sense of civic friendship. So we're like, we're in this together, we're in this political community together, and we're kind of going to be loyal to each other. Um, those that kind of community could be democratic, it could be monarchical. Aristotle, who is kind of the O.G. common good guy, thought that probably the best we could hope for was a mixed government, which is something like what we have. Um, it's also something like arguably what they have in the U.K., so it's not necessary to not have a king. It's just that you know, it can't be absolutely um, monarchical. Um, so just laws, like which not in a kind of like recondite or, you know, be Straussian way, maybe just like laws that you would probably recognize as just like laws get stealing against murder um obviously there are debates about that laws justly applied so no favoritism no corruption um and kind of um a political community where people feel some kind of friendship towards each other um some kind of loyalty towards each other that's how i would describe the political common good
2: and just to, just maybe to add because i'm curious if you would still include this so in your piece um You also said um, the point of post-liberalism is simply the good in a Christian sense, but then you go on to say the purpose of earthly government is to bring those governed to their natural end. It also has the purpose of directing us to our final supernatural end according to its own methods in a humble way and without stepping on the toes of the church. So I'm curious, so... In the sense that the state or the government, I suppose, should care about um, the supernatural end of citizens. How does how does that work in practice?
1: Well, I don't think it does work in a in a state that's not you know like the United States. I don't think the the government should have anything to do with the supernatural end of people. Um, I think if. You know, if there is a, a state that is actually substantively majority Christian, it might be okay sometimes for um, the state to, for example, you know, support. basically, I, I mean, the, the short way of saying this is that, like, Christianity is, like, if, if I, it is what I believe it is, then it actually is in accord with natural justice. And so... While I would think that, you know, as in the UK, it's not unjust for the government to acknowledge, you know, for this to be like an officially Christian country. Um, the primary way that I would picture that is just by um, laws teaching you to be actually good, which is what laws are supposed to do anyway. I mean, that's debatable, but that's not debatable on necessarily from necessarily um, religious grounds. I mean I was also being I was asked to write this um to explain like what is the Christian what is Christian post liberalism. Um so I was trying to like explain all right what is Christian post liberalism? It's not necessarily like I don't think that we should try to do Christian post liberalism in America right now, basically.
2: So then okay, but America does have still a Christian majority. So I mean if it's not applicable in America, then what are we really like what are we really talking about then because it's not going to be applicable in Western Europe, and I'm not sure where else we're really you know potentially talking about I mean I, so I'm, I like so if it's so why Poland. why does this Hungary. matter, I guess then if it's not applicable in the us?
1: I don't know, I think things matter because they' if they're true and interesting. I don't think that there's a political, there's not necessarily a political program that I seek from it. So
0: this is why, you know, I, I do want to pull us back to the national conservatism thing because, and that sentence that I, I, I pointed out, because both you, Peter, um, uh, both of you guys said uh, that, you know, in that second sentence, um, you didn't see which way this, uh, how they meant it. To me it seems pretty clear for a couple of reasons the way they meant it. Uh, but it's it, it, it still is a contradiction because they recommend the Federalist principle and they are hoping I think for uh, you know, not unfair to say uh, I think a a they, they refer to it in other places you know about like a a society grounded in Christian principles and fair enough they're they're not Christians. this is not a Christian document, It's a nationalist document. Maybe it's a Christian nationalist document. Maybe that's a fair way to put it. But again, I want just to highlight two sentences in here that I would say to you that a secularist wouldn't put in. And those are uh, subdivisions in which law and justice have been manifestly corrupted. I think that language is not language that a liberal would use, that justice would be corrupted Um, or which lawlessness, dissolution, but immorality reigns. That's the other one that I think, again, we've had periods in America where we've had you know, still have blue laws and all these sorts of things on the books, but but there's a a there's a strong sense in that in that phrase that that I brought out before, of um, again basically saying this is where liberalism's gone wrong and that it doesn't do these things that liberalism in fact has a a strand that is a lot more live and let live. So I think the contradiction in that phrase is one between saying Benedict Benedict option's good and we promise to give Benedict option to to Shadi's people and all the Jews and whoever else. However, if Shadi's people and the Jews really just start get up into something that's like truly immoral and unjust, well, you know, then we may have to crack down on it. And then I would say that includes also the kind of libertinism of, I don't know, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, dissolute liberals living in in communes somewhere in the desert you know, need to, yeah. So, so I don't know, react to that a little bit, even, you know, in in light of everything you just said.
1: Okay. So what's wrong with it in principle?
0: Nothing wrong with it. I was just asking you for your reaction to it. Do you find it's, it's, it's all right. Again, I see, unlike Shadi, I'll tell you where I'm coming from. I I have no conception of the good. So I find this stuff Fascinating from like a, a whole different level. That's why I just ask these sorts of questions to prompt discussion. Shadi has concepts of the good, but I keep pushing him to define them better. And I think that where this comes down to, it has to come down from a a proper belief in God on some level. I don't think you can make like strong ethical claims to anything without reference to some sort of transcendence. And liberalism, for That's all of its for all of its universal pretensions, I think is also full of shit on that. Um, so. <laughs>
1: But Yeah, I mean, I don't think that, I, I don't think that liberalism necessarily does not have, I, I mean, no liberalism worth its salt. I mean, certain, whatever. There are plenty of versions of liberalism that have a conception of the good and that would absolutely, you know, John Locke would have been absolutely appalled to hear what you just said, that like there's something fundamental in liberalism that precludes the idea of a good. He would say there's no point in government or life if you don't have the idea of a good. Um, what you've described is a kind of, you know, I, I would not want you governing me if you do not have an idea of the good, because the point of me being governed is to be governed towards my good, and so if you don't know what that is or how, or think it's real, I don't want you governing me.
0: Yeah, don't you vote, know? don't vote for me
1: when okay,
2: I run. Okay, wait, but just a second
0: here.
1: I definitely will not vote for you, Demir.
2: <laughs> okay, but okay, just so, but on that, if Demir was duly elected through the democratic process. It, it doesn't necessarily matter what other people think if he was elected. I mean, so yes, you maybe wouldn't want Demir to govern you, just like I don't want Donald Trump to govern me. But if that's what the people vote for, then, you know, I have to go along with it. But I, I know that opens up a democracy question. But I would just, I want to push Demir for a second. Well, Demir does have a conception of the good and, only insofar as everyone has preferences, and those preferences cannot be separated from one's own understanding of morality. Um, So I would just say that, but I would also ask, Demir, when you say that I have a conception of good, because I'm not entirely clear on what it is or what you think it is, um, can you just say what you think my conception of the good is just briefly. No, 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 I
0: mean it's just it's just our discussions over democracy. Always, we end up going on. You know, uh, you have to boil it down to some conception of human dignity to actually say that it's preferable to something else. And I and I keep claiming to you that there is no way that you can make a claim for human dignity for dignity of the of the individual outside of an explicit claim to religious transcendence and the soul. That's really basically what it comes down to. I think without that. You have no case. You and and every other person on this planet who makes claims to the the good and human dignity and things yeah, look, like that. But, but it's like there, justice. It's people. People love talking about justice and and these sorts of things. And it usually you press them on it. Christians will say, well, natural law and the rest of it. But even that, to me, you know, natural law insofar as it's revealed law through Scripture, I'll 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 I'll, I'll grant you that because that's the end point and there's no arguing with that. But natural law. Because, duh, is not an argument to me, you know, which is, I think a lot of people, when they try and secularize and explain natural law, they'll say, well, obviously, natural law, come on. Obviously, we, it's we natural. don't kill- it's natural. Obviously, we don't steal. It's natural. And then you get Kant's bullshit with like, <laughs> rationalism teaches us in the categorical imperative. But screw all that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm one of the most evil, evil philosophers to, to have ever existed. G- just
2: anyway. remember that oh, I, a Christian I magazine is um, is uh, co-hosting this episode. So, okay, mirror,
1: okay. Well- No, it's okay. <laughs> just bleep, you it know. Out. bleep yeah, me
3: out. Yeah, watch it. So... <laughs> So we, so Plow's <laughs> founding manifesto from 1920 says our mission is to apply Christianity publicly. So um, that gets us straight into this, and I'm with Demir on this. I think that actually there is no, um, you can't, you can't bracket out those kinds of faith or belief or value um, presuppositions from talking about any of this stuff, uh, and. Of course, you know, the argument's been made, you know, I think Samuel Moyne wrote a whole book on the Christian origins of of human rights, right? When you start with, say, the, the first line of the German constitution that um, the dignity of man is inviolable, right? That's that's a metaphysical statement that is grounded in a long Christian tradition and comes from these nice uh, German Christian kind of socialists who were putting the German constitution together in their, you know, in the shadow of world war two and the Holocaust. Right. And, and so any type of, and this gets into the democracy thing that we're bracketing out thanks to shoddy, but absolutely. Uh, liberalism from the beginning and the American experiment, of course, uh, was always and again, you know, historians debate this, but this is just my opinion, since we're allowed to just give our opinions here, right? As as always, lived off of this non-liberal residuum uh, that was out there, which is the Christianity, uh, and it was a very fractious Christianity. There was Pennsylvania Quakerdom. There was Maryland uh, Catholic aristocracy. There was Virginia. There was the New England states for their, you know— crazy Puritan thing going on, which is sort of my ancestors on one side. Um, But there was enough common denominator between all those things that they kind of felt you could come together on a common good, on some really basic things like don't kill people, don't steal, um, and ultimately on things that are mentioned in the Declaration of Independence, right? Uh, Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness defined in this sort of classical way of happiness is overall human flourishing has all kinds of classical, but especially Christian stuff imported into it. And you really can't talk about what good or justice or corruption of those is without that. And I I think that's fine and that's okay. Unlike Susanna's post-liberalism essay, I would say that coming from specifically an Anabaptist perspective, so the Anabaptists was a radical Reformation movement, about five hundred years old. Um, grew out of the Peasants' War in the fifteen twenty five or so. That was a protest, sort of, a, of the common people against a political Christendom in the name of the rights of individual communities and the rights of the individual's freedom of conscience vis a vis this 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 state. So I would say my tradition of Christianity has a much greater skepticism about the use of state power. Um, and specifically about this line in um, the National Conservative Manifesto of the ability of the national government to get in there and really get their hands dirty uh, cleaning up things, um, again, I don't know how rational it is, but my my own reaction and the reaction of this sort of non-conformist tradition of Christianity is to read that and say, oh, we see the Habsburgs burning heretics yep. right there. Um, we're We're kind of yep. worried.
1: So – Uh, I'd like to sort of just add on to Pete's thing just because there is a kind of like automatic, um, but slavery thing when if you talk about like what, what was there in the American founding, I actually I absolutely agree um, that Pete, the the point that like, the assumptions that went into the American Constitution were fundamentally Christian, Christian flavored assumptions, not actually Christian assumptions, um, probably deist assumptions, but you know, deism was extremely Christian flavored at that time. Um, and if you want to get more explicit, like the, the refounding, the Lincolnian post-Civil War refounding was even more explicitly Christian, um, and more explicitly religious than the original founding, um, and saw itself very much as a kind of like completion of a vision of the political good, which, you know, now was without this horrible blight, um, that made everything else kind of gross and dirty and fake. Um, but I mean, the other way to think about this is that, you know, one of the big books on this question that came out a couple of years ago is by Patrick Janine, which is called Why Liberalism Failed. And I think one of the ways to look at you, Demir, and your sort of like our claim that liberalism, you know, has no room for these ideas of, um, you know, the good or of natural justice or of of real justice or anything like that is that you are why liberalism failed or at least you are what it looks like when liberalism failed
0: truth truth
1: and (laughs) they're
0: they're not exactly i'll defend myself but go on say more
1: (laughs) um and yeah that's kind of that's kind of all i wanted to say i just every time i hear the um the American founding thing. I, my old union instincts kick in and I want to go back to Lincoln's refound.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look, all, all I'll say is I, I don't, I don't really style myself. I style myself more as like a, an annoying person than a liberal. Uh, I mean, I, I, just, <laughs> I, just, I just, I just annoy, I just enjoy sort of poking holes in a lot of this stuff. So, I mean, I, I, that's my defense against that. Like Ooh. I'm, if what, if what you mean by I am why liberalism failed in the sense that I'm poking holes in in concepts like virtue that in fact require, I think, uh, you know, not just like, well, duh, virtue, which is, I think the standard and fair point on Locke, but we're not talking about classical liberals. We're talking about Rawlsians and other Kantian derived, you know, messes that actually pollute our our conception of how things are at this point. And so it's it's those people whose whose uh fundament I'm trying to knock out under them to make them grapple with deeper things. That's 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 where I stand on a lot of this stuff. Now the fact is, I myself am, am, am a man of very like sparse convictions. So I just it's it's more of like uh I I I sit around and 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 point at the contradictions. I don't have see, I mean Shadi and I go about this, argue about this a a, a fair bit of like, you know. Why? Why would you do anything if you're not trying to build a better world? I believe this was like maybe a year and a half ago. Shadi said this to me. I was like, I don't know. That's, that's not. That's not what makes me wake up in the morning. So I don't I buy mean, it. That's I don't my buy defense. It. Okay, that's
2: fine. No, 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 no. I'm no. I mean, look. I mean, we don't. We don't have to relitigate this. But look, that it's a bit of a cop out because you know it that you have beliefs. You. I mean there, there are things that you believe in. And how is that different than anything that we're talking about? Unless you're willing to say that you don't believe in anything in particular, but I just don't buy that any human being on the earth doesn't have some kind of fundamental orientation.
0: Um, And this is actually, I think, one of... Mm. No, but I mean, okay. So here's, and this is maybe a, a you know, to get us back on track. Um, maybe this does qualify me as a liberal to a certain extent. I, I bracket those things, as you said earlier. Shoddy, as preferences. I don't think I, I live like, you know, some sort of libertine. In fact, I don't. I live a really boring life. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't steal from my friends. I don't. I haven't murdered anyone yet. I haven't broken up marriages. None of that. So you know, like, I, I, I think in general, I. One might describe me as a as a pretty boringly moral person in my personal life. But 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 really, I'm not sure that that actually gives us anything to work with. And I, I do think that that I mean, I, I I have a sense of sort of personal responsibility towards friends. I think we've talked about this as well before. I have a I, I have a deep skepticism. And this is something else we can actually talk about in the the um, I think, Susanna, you're writing about this but also in the response letter um i think there's a there's there's a a sense unexamined by a lot of people to talk about the common good about actual circles of of empathy and sympathy and i think that there's a uh an unrealistic belief in how those how how wide and far those can be and how meaningful those can be that's another part where i my criticism really springs out from so i mean again you know sure we can talk about me i don't think it's that interesting about like how i like you know, run my personal life, we can certainly spend an entire hour talking about that, <laughs> but who cares? But, but the, the, the fact is though, I, I, it's, it's once we start making these bigger assumptions about humanity, about circles of empathy and Susanna, even in, in what, when you were talking to Shadi sort of, you know uh, you were throwing around the word, you know, polity and, 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 and the community that, that, that we are, I think that needs to be queried pretty hard, both by liberals, but also by, you know, uh common good conservatives and 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 Christians.
2: Yeah. And just okay, and and just to build on what the last thing Demir said, um I think the problem with talking about the common good right now in particular is that there are foundational disagreements about absolutely vital questions that relate to um, God, justice, the meaning of the state, the nation state, um, the individual versus the collective. It's not clear to me how, and, and just in like Demir, I mean, Demir, Demir and Susanna Shadi and Peter, if it was just us founding a new state, I don't think we'd be able to come up with a common good among the four of us because there are foundational disagreements. So that, there is no common good in effect. I mean, we might, we might as individuals believe in what the common good should be based on our own religious or ethical commitments. But when we're talking about the polity more broadly, and we're talking about these values that are supposedly self-evident or are natural, we don't agree on what natural, like what is natural. And that's why, as far as I can tell, any discussion of the common good is going to hit that reality, you know, pretty quickly.
1: I think that's probably true. Um, I also think that, you know, okay, I I think Demir's life is actually pretty interesting in that I think that he lives as, he does not have an intellectual belief in the good or in justice, but he has justice in his soul. He he lives as someone who has justice in his soul. That means that's in there. um, Even though you don't have it, in a, a concept of it, so that's a reality that you are living according to, even if you don't affirm it um, intellectually. Which is interesting to me because I think there's a lot of people like that out there. Um, I think most people who are, you know, philosophical nihilists are do do still have justice in their soul, um, and that that's the thing that tells them that they shouldn't, you know, steal from their friends. There's that's the thing that sort of like has this kind of fellow feeling towards other people. Um, I I do think it is kind of striking. Um, I think that Demir's kind of role in the world is a little bit of a gadfly, not in a Socratic sense, because Socrates was being a gadfly towards the good and you are not, Um, but more in a satanic sense um, where, you know, Satan as God's prosecuting attorney in the book of Job, like, you know, what Demir is doing here is pointing out that actually, no, the end game of liberalism really is nihilism. And, yeah, you might be sitting there and actually sitting there with justice in your soul and with and with a real conscience and with that spark of like, divine nature in you, which you absolutely have. But um, you are pointing out that intellectually, there is no foundation for that, which you experience uh, on the assumptions of liberalism as you push them. Um, and I think one thing that's really, really striking in European history, recent European history that shows this is the... Um, the 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 White Rose was the student group in Nazi Germany, um, which you know the the leaders Sophie Scholl and Hans Scholl um, and others were executed pretty shortly before the end of World War II. But when they were opposing fascism, they did so um, on the basis of um, the, the the quote that they opened their one of their major, major leaflets with, with is Salus publicus, Suprema lex. The you know the public wealth, the public health is, um, the Supreme law. And they start out with something like, um, the starting point of every civilization, whatever is, where is this? Like essentially they, they, they start out with the basic ideas of Aristotelian and Thomistic um, common good po- politics as the, the obvious means with which to oppose fascism and the only means with which to oppose fascism. And I do think that, um, that vision of you know, the Nazis are actually opposing the common good. They're opposing justice. Their laws are unjust. We can say that with certain a certain amount of conviction um, is kind of what you need to oppose injustice and kind of what you need to oppose any potential abuses. For example, you know, with you guys mentioned some sort of authoritarian, authoritarian states in Europe. If you're going to oppose the abuses of state power, you kind of need to do it on the basis of a law that is not the positive law of the state and is also not democracy. This is obviously what Martin Luther King did. Um, He said, quoting uh, St. Thomas, an unjust law is no law at all. And I don't really see, I mean, this might not really be a problem for you, Demir, but it might be for Shadi. I don't really see a a way that you can um, oppose oppose an unjust law or an authoritarian government that is squashing human flourishing other than on the basis of natural law, that's a utilitarian argument for natural law, but it's a, but it's still an argument.
0: Shadi, before you jump in, let me just one quick thing on that. The, Hitler maybe, was not brought do down. You, do you
2: want to clarify, he, Demir, that you are not Satan?
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I won't do that. I'll let that stand. I think I, I'm going to make a T-shirt. Liberalism, Satan. Because that's really what you said. Um, no, but look, I, uh, uh, all I'll say about 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 Nazism, though, of course, is that, you know, uh, it took an army uh, that, in fact, it wasn't for Aristotelian common good that we fought Germany to a standstill. And uh, the geopolitics are much more complicated than that. And it took an army that flattened a country that uh, then was occupied for decades before the kind of Mental habits were quite frankly stamped out of that society. And that's the reality. It wasn't like Hitler and a couple of his henchmen. It was a much broader disease that that needed that. And look, yes, and, but and so so you can justify that. You can justify that post facto. There were brave Germans that 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 you know were justifying their their bravery or bucking themselves up with rationality and reasons or theological reasons or philosophy to be able to stand up in such a perilous time. I don't want to minimize that. but let's also be clear about what destroyed Nazism. It was okay yeah. but,
1: but what were the habits of mind that replaced those habits of mind that were stamped out? Um, I would argue that like based on you know Adenauer's sort of government and as Pete quoted earlier, the German the post-war German constitution, the habits of mind that replaced the habits of mind of Nazism were largely the habits of mind of the White Rose. Um, now, those there's you know Germany is obviously a long way from that now. I don't think there are many Aristotelians in German politics now. But like, if you don't like the habits of mind of Nazism and the philosophy of Nazism, what is the philosophy that you're going to replace it with? And what are the habits of mind that you're going to put in place of the ideas of, about the Übermensch?
0: Shadi, I mean, this is this is straight up the role of ideas, and this is you know where I come down on this as well. I, I do think these are these end up being secondary and sort of epiphenomenal to to bigger, uglier, nastier things that end up happening on a on a on a on a bigger social level. Then was it important to stamp out
1: the habits of mind of Nazism? In so
0: far as that uh, it it basically. Uh, Well, I mean, depends on who's from whose perspective, certainly from the American perspective, it it ushered in the uh, the American century, Um, whether that's good or not. I mean, many will disagree on that question. Um, Again, look, what makes me uncomfortable about talking about moral categories on these sorts of things uh, is that ultimately uh, a lot of the good, positive habits of minds have now made themselves and been distorted into this this uh, this wild project of the European Union, which also has uh, concepts of community that are unsustainable, that we're seeing break apart, that is governed by uh, another set of, again, uh, denatured religious ideology, broad international liberalism that actually is, in fact, in my opinion, causing a lot of the reaction among nation states in Europe against this kind of totalizing stuff. I can go on about this, but you know, this frame of, was it good or bad? And was it like replaced with a, a better theology than, uh, the decrepitude of Nazism? I mean, sure. I can give you satisfying things. I just don't think it's important.
2: Okay. Well, can I just, So so to go back to something that may be important, um, I think Wait, what was, what was I going to say?
0: <laughs> Peter, okay, Peter yes, also I had something I, to jump in I, with. Stuff
2: that may be important. I remembered it. I remembered it. Um, who, I guess, so, Susanna, you were talking about um, what Martin Luther King said Unju- an unjust law is no law at all. Okay, great. But how do we apply that in practice today? Because this goes back to who decides what constitutes justice, but let's take an example. There are states in which abortion is permitted in the second trimester. Um, That is a law in any number of states. So from a, I presume from your perspective, Susanna, you would consider that to be, you know, beyond the pale. I don't know if you, so if we apply that, if we apply Martin Luther King's um, saying, are those laws that permit abortion in the second trimester, are they not in fact laws because they are unjust? And what if we have 50% of Americans who say a law that permits abortion in the second trimester is unjust and the other 50% say that it's just? So justice as a category, I mean, we, we can't determine... Um laws in that way, unless we have a common a, a shared understanding of justice which we which we do not
1: well, I mean, I think what's what's important to ask first is what's real, whether or not before you ask what to do about it or you know what the upshot's going to be, and I think the reality is that those laws are not real laws, they don't match natural law, and so i I would say, yeah, with Dr. King, along with like the laws that you know prohibited black people from sitting at at the, at the at counters in the south those aren't laws those are those are fake laws and I mean yeah I think it's a huge problem because to go back to Lincoln again um I don't think a nation can endure half slave and half free
2: yeah yeah sure okay but if we're talking about abortion because I don't I don't necessarily I mean I don't consider abortion to be on the scale of slavery and and Jim Crow and so forth um and I think there's there's legitimate reasons on both sides and quotation marks. I mean, I, I respect people who oppose abortion. I also respect people who are pro-choice because there are, you can't say the same about at least, you can't say the same about slavery or Jim Crow. We know now that there was only one right. And many people back then knew that, there was only one right answer. There weren't two sides. There are two sides, in my view, that are legitimate. I don't think that'll ever change for the rest of you know, existence. Um, and so what does it mean to say that those laws in these states are fake? They, they are not fake. They are actually, they can be enforced and their states and local authorities take those to be actual laws. So what does it mean? Do you think? Yeah.
1: Do you do you agree with? I mean, it, it might just be that we're we're t- obviously you know they are positive laws. There are laws on the books. There are laws that are enforced with state power. Um, what Dr. King was saying is that they don't they're not they don't partake in the nature of actual law, in, in that they're not just. Um, so do you think that that's a way of thinking that's at all coherent? Do you think that you can ask whether a law is just?
2: Um. It's not my approach, and maybe I'm a little bit closer to Demir in this regard. I mean, I just don't, I I personally don't think in that category. I mean, I don't look at laws and I think to myself, are they just or unjust? Um, They are laws because we live in a, and this is where we've been bracketing democracy, but maybe this is where it comes out more clearly. We live in a democracy we respect the democratic process. There are outcomes to that democratic process. So whatever laws are in effect in democracy, in a democracy such as ours at the present moment, um, they, are, they are legitimate, even if they are unjust. Um, and we have to respect them insofar as they are a reflection of of what Americans wanted as expressed through their elected representatives.
1: I mean it's it's really easy to sort of take the next poking holes in that stuff and I'm sure that people have I think I did that to you at one point when we were at lunch in DC and I almost threw a bread roll <laughs> in your head. Um <laughs> Um yeah I mean it's it's really uh, arguably the um election that brought Hitler to power was not a real democratic election but it easily could have been um so you know if that had been a legitimate election in the sense that actually a majority had voted him in um and laws had then been passed to send Jews to the gas chamber I have no problem saying that those laws are unjust you know it's it's not just to you know, kill people because of their religion. Well, it's not comparable.
2: Um, It's not comparable because first of all, you can't kill people according to the U.S. Constitution. So obviously what, what we're talking about is what Americans vote for in the context of a constitutional order that has red lines that you can't cross. Otherwise, they would be in violation of the Constitution. Also, you can't kill people for the simple reason that if you kill people, they won't be able to vote. So, I mean, just not to get, not to, I mean, that is also something worth considering. So,
1: yeah, I mean, but we're, but we're disagreeing on whether or not you can kill people according to the constitution in as much as the laws that are, um, that permit abortion in, in those states that permit it are protected by the constitution. Then you can kill people according to the constitution and those people can't vote. They're not going to be able to well, grow up and vote. As far as I know, they
2: feti- you know, um, unbo- uh, however we want to put it, fetuses or unborn babies or about to be babies, but not, but not yet. I mean, they are not citizens, as far as I know. Um, they're not American that's citizens. True. So, in that sense, it's why does that matter? Because then, do
1: you think that you can kill people who are not American citizens on American soil? No,
2: but I'm just saying, like the the panoply of rights. That we talk about um, are generally reserved in their full sense to American citizens. There, there are non-Americans. Sure, ci- I don't
1: think, yeah, I don't think fetuses should vote. Um, I think that fetuses, because they're people, like illegal immigrants. You know, th- these are also people but, who are not citizens who we also can't kill because they're people.
2: Yeah, but but okay, <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's fine. For I respect. Your view and um, and I do have I don't s-
1: want you to respect my view. I want you to disagree with me if you disagree no, with no, me. But- if my view is not so respectful, can I can I
3: jump in because I, <laughs> I do think there is <laughs> and this is not this is not to equate the issues, they are different in all kinds of obvious ways, but there were democratically enacted fugitive slave laws in the United States that were constitutional at the time by American procedural democracy democratic standards, um, which I guess the way that Susanna's talking about it, and I'd agree with her, were unjust laws, right? And so I think the maybe we're we're talking about terminology here. Um, how were those dealt with? Well with a war, um, but also with a massive effort by on the part of those who saw those laws as unjust as not laws that had some type of moral um, moral claim on the individual citizen, there was a massive effort to convince one's fellow citizens that we should do away with positive laws that are unjust uh, in the case of those. And I, so changing everything that needs to be changed from a Christian pro-life point of view, that's exactly what uh, Abortion, you know, a a very similar state of affairs with abortion laws that permit, you know, abortion into the second or third trimester. Uh, We should judge such laws to be laws with no moral claim on us. And we should do our best to convince our fellow citizens that they should agree with us.
2: But then ultimately, Peter, if I understand correctly, then I'm the only... If it's about persuasion, if it's about like making the case to your fellow American citizens um, that this is an unjust law and that it should be changed accordingly, Mm -hmm. then I'm totally on board because that means that we're allowing the democratic process to resolve a question that we can't agree on as individuals. So we say, look. There isn't going to be consensus on this issue. Abortion is polarizing. There are con- competing viewpoints that are based on different conceptions of the good, and because of that, we are going to say whoever is able to persuade more Americans and get in getting them to vote, um, you know, for certain laws or to repeal certain laws having to do with abortion, great. That's actually my resolution, um, and to me, that's the only resolution that makes sense um that i can conceive of in this particular situation but i would just i would just want to say that i think there is a fundamental difference between fugitive slave laws and abortion laws in in a very in a, in a fundamental sense in that in a pluralistic society we we want to allow um various and quite different um theologies ethical approaches and so forth abortion and abortion falls under that because there there are a plurality of theological convictions or lack thereof that lead to different conclusions about whether abortion should be permitted at five weeks, 10 weeks, 20 weeks, 30. I mean, Muslims, for example, have much less of a problem with abortion in the first trimester, but it does start to become a, the, you know, a problem according to Islamic law, uh, particularly in the second trimester. These are all different views on abortion and a pluralistic democratic society should be able to accommodate a wide range of views. It should not, however, accommodate a wide range of views on slavery. And in some sense, I'm making a a progressive argument in that I think the fundamental, um, you know, certain fundamental questions were resolved in the past, thank God. They don't have to be relitigated because there is a consensus in the sense that every single American, with maybe just a few exceptions, does not believe in slavery or does not believe that slavery was morally just. So we're done. I don't think we're going to have any more issues that are like that in the sense where we have a 50-50 country on a particular issue, but then it ends up going to 100% somehow.
1: I think it probably, I mean, I don't know. Um, I just don't see the difference. I don't, in principle, see the difference. And obviously, it was the case that during, you know, during the Lincoln-Douglas debates, for example, when Stephen Douglas made arguments that are almost identical to yours in favor of democracy um, and, and the democratic process being allowed to decide, you know, whether slavery would or would not be permitted into the territories... Um, there there were plenty of religious re- you know religious reasons to support slavery there were plenty of Christians who would make religious arguments in favor of slavery I think these were profoundly wrong but I think that because I think there's reality to moral arguments and reality to Christianity and that got it wrong um, I think you know I, I like to believe in progress I think maybe there is progress I think that we have gotten past the point of thinking that it's okay to enslave p- people based on race Um I don't think that it's necessarily the case that we won't go back to thinking that it's okay to enslave people based on probably not race, but other things. Um, I think you're seeing pretty rapidly. We had gotten to the point where we thought that it was not okay to kill people based on disability. We have already gotten past that point. Um,
2: Wait, can you just explain that? I'm I'm not sure I follow on that last point.
1: Oh, just the, I I was thinking about the, I mean, this is not the US, but in Canada, the um, the. A sort of assisted dying thing has been kind of pushed pretty hard. So there, there's a lot of um, support in Canada and elsewhere for the idea that it is okay to kill people, or to decide that um, you're going to die, based on your disability, based on the idea that you don't want to live, or you are, or somebody else is sort of coercible into. Uh, th- basically, th- there's not a sense that human life is something that you really do need to preserve and you can't take that's gone. So I don't really, I don't, I'm not progressive in the sense that I think we got to the point where we thought that human life was something that you couldn't take your own or someone else's. And then we got past that. And now we're back to the place um, that we were before Christianity, where we think that it is okay to take some human li- lives, including our own. So I don't, in that sense, believe in progress. Um, and I just, I guess I just don't see, I, I mean, we, we there's the difference we we believe different differently in a matter of fact. I assume you don't believe that the fetus is a, a human person, so I think that's probably the the reason that we disagree on this. And I don't think there's much of a another reason.
3: I think you can also, I mean, to get away from you know American history, if that's helpful. I don't know if it is, but if you look in the you know grand sweep of things, you go back. To when Christianity was a minority religion in in the Roman Empire, um, there was all kinds of things Christians believed were true that they didn't necessarily push instantly for um, laws to reflect their beliefs on things like, but then they did bit by bit. So uh, over the course of centuries through Christian influence, things like um, sex slavery for minors was prohibited, right? Things that I think we would all on this podcast agree are bad things and should be prohibited, uh, and that was on the basis of something outside the democratic process, outside uh, convincing others. There, again, getting back to this idea, is there this real, this good, this just and unjust that stands outside, you know, the positive law of our particular polity? And I think we're we're saying, Suzanne and I. Um, even though how you translate that into politics it, it is another big, hard debate. We're saying, yes, there absolutely is. Uh, and people of faith or, or or of none are absolutely right to push for their religiously grounded ideas of the good to be reflected in law, at least in certain circumstances, um, in grave enough situations where the stakes are high enough. And, and whether that be... Issues of sexual exploitation, whether it be issues of personal freedom, um, whether it be duties of parents and children to each other, uh, whether it be issues of end of life care and the the uh, you know permissibility, say, of assisted dying for people who are mentally ill, uh, who may be a burden on a national healthcare system, as in Canada. There's some cases that have been coming out for the last you know couple of months on that. Um, Absolutely, one is okay with having a religiously grounded idea of what is right, and then pushing for that uh, to be somehow reflected in so national. Let law.
0: me just jump in here because I think this maybe circles back to my satanic role in a lot of this. Because, because, uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah because, because, no, 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 because, because, because I think that's exactly right, Peter. Um, and I think what we're really talking about here—you said it yourself, though—I think this is part of the disjunct um, where I stand. I think on the individual level, uh, your convictions are your convictions. And I mean, I think if you're a thoughtful person, you should ground them in something. And if you ground them in scripture and faith, that, that stands. And that is a conviction. That is a moral conviction on the individual and personal level. Question is, how do you get that into politics? That ultimately is the question. And is the role of politics therefore to, and how does one interact with the political, with the community in order to, uh, you know, realize one's convictions. Um, I think that's, that's, that's a hundred percent correct up until that point. It's there that I think then the divergences sort of come into this about what is the role of society? This is where, you know, for example, or sorry, the, the role of a political community, quite frankly, that whether the role of the political community is in fact to maybe in an ideal, even I'll grant you that Susanna, you know, like let's, let's talk about what the ideal community is, the ideal uh, moral community Um I, I suspect we all agree around here that such a thing does not exist, that human beings are are, you know, uh, to use Christian language deeply fallen, that that uh, human communities are themselves fractious and broken in so many ways. And now, again, we can talk about, you know, doing things better. To me, where I come at uh, a lot of this sort of stuff is that that I, I think a lot of people jump a lot of steps from personal conviction to politics. And then a lot of assumptions are made about what we do to get there. I think uh, modern liberals, again, have a deep misunderstanding of their own ethics um, and where it comes from. It's not really well grounded and it's, it's sort of free floating. And that is what I think, um, in the negative sense, governs our stuff. But I will defend liberalism in the sense that I think uh, in a fractious, messed up, fallen, broken world, it does allow for this kind of... Give and take for, in fact, individuals with strong ethical convictions uh, to be able to, in fact, uh, uh, argue for them and convince their fellow citizens. And, you know, if you will, create progress in the world towards a vision of what I would say, I would say is a personal grounded in a tradition vision of the good.
1: See, this is why I don't actually think
3: you're Satan. Yeah. See, this This is why I don't
1: actually think... (laughs) um
3: you lost your (laughs) t-shirt
1: yeah i mean that's that's just an absolutely christian vision of um and classical vision of what a human person is and what it's you know what is owed to um this rational being who is ideally autonomous who is self-governing in a good sense um who has self-control and who is persuadable through reason because we participate in the logos um, yeah, there's no reason that that should be a good, that there should be, you know, if, if human beings aren't like that, if that's not true of human beings, then there's no reason that they shouldn't be ruled like ants, you know, or, or ruled like robots, um, or just, or completely oppressed. Um, what you've described is because you have justice in your soul and have, and are made of the image of God. You have this sense of what is due, what is good for human beings, what helps them to thrive. And one of the things that helps them to thrive is not being tyrannized over and actually um, being allowed to have conscientious decisions that are um, in accord with their own in- you know interior sense of the good because it is good for us to have that kind of autonomy, that kind of self-rule. There's nothing um, you know that's that's just true. It's also Christian because Christianity' is true. But it's not true because it's Christian, if that makes sense. Um,
0: you should, but you there's should, nothing. Maybe you should be putting in your anti-liberal <laughs> T-shirt as well as I burned my Satan no, T-shirt. No, 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 that's
1: that's that's entirely post-liberal. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah.
3: Which is why, which is why, which is why, I think that on the basis of Christianity, one can make a good argument for a certain kind of liberalism, right? Okay. Like one of my issues here is, it's a little
2: bit foreign to me, even though I think that um, out of the available religions, Islam is the most accurate and correct one. And it's what I believe. It's, it's my religion. I don't think I would be comfortable saying is- Islam is true, therefore XYZ in the context, because I'm talking to people who don't believe islam is true i just i feel like i don't don't get how it makes sense to just simply assert that christianity is true and work from that premise if that but that's
1: not what i did i did the opposite i said you know i said there's a reality to the world um part of that reality is that christianity is true but that's that's downstream christianity is downstream for reality and it is okay if you know christianity is very like chill in certain ways about the fact that the Holy Spirit doesn't like, you know, turn everyone on a dime. And because I I do think that there is this kind of um, importance of individual autonomy, I don't think that we should be, you know, we can't hassle people into conversion. We we certainly can't coerce conversion. That's utterly opposed to the vision that Christianity itself has of what human beings are. Um, But, you know, I would, Christianity for me is downstream from a, a love of the good. And I think, Shadi, you and I share a love of the good. And I am comfortable with, you know, I, like, if Christianity is real, then I don't need to have it upstream of the love of the good, if that makes sense.
2: Okay, okay. I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, um, but how you think that we share a love of the good? Oh, okay. Okay. So this applies to pretty much anyone. In that sense. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, I actually agree somewhat, Susanna, when you describe Demir. I think that whether Demir wants to admit it or not, some of his views do come from a Christian background just because it's inescapable. Us as moderns who live in a liberal society... Um, we are indelibly shaped by the, the Christian heritage and, and tradition and secularized theological precepts. I mean, that's what, that's what a lot of liberalism is. And so we can't escape all these things. And we do end up speaking um, in this language, whether or not we acknowledge that God is behind it. But presumably, if God exists and Demir is a creation of God then he would have been instilled with some innate innate inclination towards god um so on that i more you know i more or less agree i don't think anyone in particular has to think that consciously but i think it follows from from the simple premise even anyone who believes in god would presumably have to believe that there is a nature that there is a there is a nature to human beings that God was conscious of during the moment of creation, uh so I think it's just inevitable. we just have no choice but to believe in that Now, the question is how that manifests itself in individual human beings, i suppose um so in the, yeah, in that sense, um like demir doesn't so if we believe that, I suppose Demir doesn't have to be conscious of it for it to be true. I guess that's sort of what you're saying.
1: There's no. What kind of reality is it that you have to be conscious of it or believe it for it to be true? That's not true of like you know. I I can be unconscious or I could I can like be delusional and not believe that I'm sitting in this chair, but that doesn't change reality. Like there's there's truths about the you know the, the things that are happening in Manhattan and I'm in Queens and I don't know Okay about but them, those but see, they're not true. but that's
2: these are completely different kinds of truths. So for example, I am so- I
1: don't there's only one kind. No of no, truth. no okay Come but on.
2: look I mean I know that there's a table here and if you guys could see it through like the the zoom you or you know that I'm on zoom now, you know that I'm doing it through a laptop. These are things that um are not really contentious. They aren't contentious because Hi, they can't be. I mean I mean, I mean, the existence of God doesn't <laughs> doesn't reach that level because it is contested there. I mean, I could be wrong. So I'm willing to acknowledge there is a possibility that God doesn't exist. I don't. There's I don't, a
1: possibility that you don't exist, buddy. I mean, for, by that standard, like you could be I, I'm not seeing you. I'm You're on Zoom, man. You could be. But Susanna, yes, I yeah, I'll tell you, you I take I
0: take that seriously but. too. I sometimes wonder whether shoddy exists. <laughs> no, no, But but even even as a position, I mean that was a joke. But even as a position, I mean, I, I, you know, I there's there's all sorts of uh, uh, regressions in in that sort of you know self doubt uh, going back to Descartes. You can you can you can do all sorts of stuff that way. Sure, I mean, and then build it in an arbitrary way as Descartes did. Yeah, I mean, I just, I mean. It's, it's, it's I think, Shadi's point where it does stand is that, you know, you can say Descartes like off his rocker, but you can at least look at his sort of thing and say, you know, there's a, a radical skepticism that I think does enfold a lot of this sort of stuff, you know? And I mean, I, if you even admit to some amount of radical skepticism, I think you you have to admit to the possibility of, uh, you know, it's that, that you're... Your assertions about the truth are ultimately assertions grounded on faith.
1: Well, see, I actually would disagree from the diff- from the other direction in the sense that I think that my assertions about God are grounded in reason. Um, What's that though? I, I, well, okay, so you know the. I guess this is like downstream. This is making the assumption that Cartesian radical skepticism with the, you know, evil demon projecting everything into your brain is not true Um, because it's just, you know, whatever, like there are things that are apparent to you that are true. And I, I, whatever, I'm, I'm kind of going shoddy here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I, so I guess like one of the ways that you could get at this would be like, all right, so I guess my main concern here is like, there aren't two different kinds of truth. There's not like religious truth and then like normal truth. There's just like, what's real in the world.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I didn't, and, I didn't make that claim though, that there's two kinds of truth. No, okay. was no I know, but I think
1: that, sh- I think that shoddy did. Um, and so I'm kind of like, if Shadi's in the middle where there's like these two kinds of truth and you're over here with like Cartesian skepticism and like, maybe there's no truth and it's all just will I'm over here with, there's only one kind of truth. And you know, God is not a being among other beings. So it's not like true that God exists in the way that it is true that my chair exists. Still.
2: Okay. So you're acknowledging that there's a difference.
1: Yes, because God is being himself. He's not a being among other beings. I'm a classical theist. And so are you, if you're a Muslim.
2: Okay. You lost me on that last thing. I just, I did want to (laughs) make, I did want to push back on, I mean, look, I can't, Any individual can believe they came to their conclusions through whatever means that they think they came through them, but I, from what from what I understand, at least from some you know some Christians who I talk to, these things about um, the the idea that you come to um, a conception of Christian truth through reason is something that many Christians would not agree with, and I I don't I mean I. But I also think that it's disprovable pretty quickly. I mean, even if Christianity is reasonable, it doesn't follow that you come to that. The very fact that not everyone comes to Christian truth through reason suggests that reason is not enough to believe certain things about God and his nature. and, and certainly, I think many Christians would acknowledge that the Trinity, for example, is not, strictly speaking, reasonable or rational. And that's not Every necessarily a bad thing. Things don't have to be reasonable to be true.
1: Okay, so there's a couple of different things here. Um, one of them is that, is that the, but I, the kind of existence of God that I was talking about that you can come to through reason is, I think, the God that is the God of monotheism, not necessarily the Christian God. I mean, obviously, I think Christianity is true and so blah, 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 but I don't think that you can come to the Trinity through reason. I think that is, that's not a classical Christian position that you come to the Trinity through reason. That's part of revelation, but you can come to the existence of the God that, you know, Muslims believe in, that Jews believe in, that Christians believe in, that the God of monotheism um, through reason. And I don't think that most people do. I think virtually no one does. Um, but some people do, you know, and I think that like a lot of people, once they do believe kind of get curious and work backwards and see if they could. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing is like Christians will also say that faith in God, like, which isn't just belief that he exists, but also trust in him is a supernatural gift. So that's, that's like a little complexity there, but yeah, just want to clarify.
3: I I do think, so getting back to this. Original thing that got us into this wormhole, (laughs) which was, is there such a thing as the common good, right? And is there a real just and unjust thing out there that's just part of reality? And one part of this reason um, that I think that is the case is because there are not moral universals, but there are some common things that human beings hold across cultures. Um, This idea of the golden rule is found in many cultures, right? That I know what's good for you by looking at what's good for me. Um, I wouldn't wish for you what I don't wish for myself. Um, That parents have a duty to take care of their children. That children have a duty to respect and honor their parents. Uh, That, again, killing is wrong. Stealing is wrong. There are some things that at least can indicate to us, although we can't prove it from there, that there is such a thing as a common good out there because it's widely recognized even in places where neither Islam nor Christianity nor Judaism uh, nor some sort of secular offspring of any of those um, has held sway. And that's, I think, the basis on which we can assert that government should aspire to that kind of common good, that I don't wish for members of my community, however construed, things that I would hate to happen to myself and my family. And it's on that basis that I should wish, you know, for for them to be provided with the same opportunities for education, for health, for decent work, for fulfilling life that I would wish for myself and my kids. And I think that would be like a pretty commonly acceptable uh, definition of the common good that one could agree that politics should aspire to. And that does a bit leave aside certain contested issues. I mean, we talked about some of these, like abortion. Um, not that I think it's unimportant, but I think that it we shouldn't get distracted and think that just because there are some things that people do deeply disagree about, that there's nothing that people do agree is good and is true and is just and is right and that law should reflect.
2: That's I like that. I like that a lot. I'm curious what Demir would would say to it. Demir, does that resonate with you?
0: Um, I don't know. I was thinking how to how to react to it. Um, I, I guess I guess the the question is 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 uh um, would you make some argument that 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 states before Christianity uh, were unable to fulfill before there were Christian states to fulfill this this kind of sense of of good. Or are you just basically making a more generic case about sociability, um, that that generally you know people get together and certain laws will emerge out of it, and then you know on top of that, then the question becomes, um, if if it's if it's uh, if it's tied to to you know a common good that is uh, well again um, somehow transcendent through through faith or something like that. Um I get I guess the, the question is the other sort of historical question for me comes to, you know, you were saying about yourself and, you know, your kids and things like that. But but quite frankly, I mean what we really are talking about, that's pretty modern, right? About people like us, commoners, having aspirations for the state to be able to, you know, provide a a good future for our children and things like that. I, I do think these are these are these are, are are pretty modern aspirations that we have. I think, you know, that the, the very concept of, of the individual and what the individual uh um thought he wanted and even could expect from the state, I think that's there's a lot of backporting to that, you know. Um even when you look at at, at, at um you know the 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 wars of religion in in uh uh in Europe and the the uh the emergence of of Luther and the way that that he conceived of faith and the individual as opposed to then the community. I mean, you guys, I'm sure can can uh, delve into this much deeper than I can as a as a um, as a complete neophyte in this in, in this sort of stuff. But to me, it seems that what you just described is either uh, um, a certain observation about sociability, in which case it's quite broad and not that I think compelling to me as a concept of. The good, Um, you know, I could just sort of define it as kind of contingent, Um, or you have a much stronger case about progress, which is tied to uh, faith. Um, And I guess that's my that's my sort of deflating satanic attempt.
3: (laughs) Well, so I mean, obviously, we're not gonna we're not gonna solve this, but to hit both of those real fast, I don't think sociability is such a weak thing um, in the first place because I know damn well what I would like my life to be like. I don't want to be ordered around. I don't want to be oppressed. I don't want to be hungry. I don't want to be left to die on the side of a road. Um, I I don't want to be killed. I don't want to be threatened or robbed. So those are actually pretty, you know, that's pretty meaty stuff, right? Um, Were those always historically reflected in law, Uh, even in Christian inflected societies? Obviously not. I mean, we talked about the Fugitive slave laws, that's a clear violation of the Golden Rule, um, if anything was, right? But there is an intelligible moral code that can be quite demanding that's derived from the Golden Rule um, that could be brought to bear on, on law. So that's, on sociability, I'm not sure it's such a weak to, uh, weak beer as, as you're making out. Um, in terms of the historical case, you know, People love to say, you know, stuff like uh, aspirations to education and to autonomy are purely modern inventions. I'm not a historian, but if I just go back to my own tradition, which is Christianity, and I look at 2,000-year-old texts, and I look at Reformation-era texts, and I see that people are aspiring to a certain level of autonomy, to respect, to communal... um, Self determination, for instance, again, I mentioned the 12 articles of the uh peasants' war in 1525 in, in Europe, that's what they were about. This was not based on any type of Lockean liberal democratic consensus, it was just a sense like you know, we're human beings too, don't mess with us, right? Um, that I think is this again my opinion, um, but I think I, I could prove it. Uh, is pretty deeply seated. You can go back to, say, the Didache, um, an early Christian teaching, AD 80, um, where it's really, really strong about the duties of the rich to the poor in terms of social justice. So I think some of these things are not just modern inventions um, that kind of came to being out of nothing in the Enlightenment, but actually pretty deeply rooted in what, from a Christian point of view, I'd call sort of every human being being created in the image of God, um, but even if you're going to set that aside, um, I think it's just part of the reality of human beings, see, look, um, looking another human being in the eye and saying, you are my fellow human being, um, you deserve what I want for myself. And I think that's certainly not been the rule in history. That's obviously the case, which is why, you know, we can see so many cases where there has been real moral progress on things, but I also don't think it's you know, uh, a modern invention. I think that's pretty deeply seated in human nature.
1: I mean, I would, I would kind of agree with that. And I would also say that if you put it, if you use the phrase sociability, that does kind of sound like a weak little nice thing or whatever, but it's in packed into that. Um, you know, I would bring up two other concepts and one is just the Christian idea of love. Like we, yeah, yeah, we actually can base everything on the law of love. Like that's, that's not actually that weak sauce. And that love is the actual love between human beings And the other aspect, you know, the other sort of bit of our tradition is the idea that humans are political animals, animals that live in cities, animals that live in societies. And everything that flows from that, like between the two of those things, you kind of do have the whole natural law tradition. Sociability is not as as weak as you think it is.
3: (laughs) So to take us back to this National Conservative statement, this is actually one of the pieces of the statement that I think is actually unchristian in the terms that we're talking about, which is the part on immigration. Um, which chooses to be a certain class of people as not deserving of that same golden rule treatment. Yeah. Uh,
0: I, I. There's so much more to talk about. And really, just because, honestly, you even just prompted me now to, to jump into the question of, of what is society and, and, and the rest of that. But I think we'll have to leave this for another time because we've, <laughs> we've, been, we've been going Can for I a while. Can I just say one,
2: up- one thing about Demir? I no. mean, one of the joys <laughs> of this joint episode has been seeing Demir's facial expressions. <laughs> they are really interesting, I have to say, because we I mean, when we do our normal wisdom, wisdom of crowds podcast, we usually don't use video. So I actually don't know what's happening to Demir's face. It was it was interesting.
3: Well, <laughs> we need a series of shots well, to go with this episode. Well,
1: also, like, didn't I? I got I got you guys. I made wisdom of crowds swag a couple months ago. And That's I feel true. like the next the next kind of generation of Wisdom of Crowd swag would just be like Demir's face, like slightly contorted. Like yeah. as, as like the t-shirt. Yeah, that'd be Into awesome. Into
2: Satan
0: <laughs> with horns. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> with horns.
2: No, I should say right, that guys. swag was um it's a wonderful t-shirt and hopefully we can share that visually at some point with our dear listeners but um
1: i think you should be selling it I selling cut. it yeah it's a,
2: it. a good yeah. point actually yeah
0: yeah <laughs> all right guys thanks so much on this that
3: great. note
1: <laughs>
3: this has been a lot of fun yep. thank you okay